rare disease individuals are much more than just their health, right? Like they are full-bodied people. They have life goals and life pursuits and they want to be doctors. They want to be nurses or they want to take an art class. Um, I will start with the introduction. Hi, this is Alana. Um, this is Wait, How Do You Spell That? A rare disease podcast produced by Patient Worthy. Um, today, we're joined by a few guests. We're here with Sunita, our staff writer, and uh, some of the staff of Every Life Foundation. Hi, well, I'm Annie Kennedy, and I'm the Chief of Policy and Advocacy with the Every Life Foundation, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today. Thanks for having us. And I'm Lindsay Cundiff. I'm the Associative Director of Patient Engagement at the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. And I'm thrilled to be here, so thanks for setting this up. <laughs> All right, I think first we're talking about the National Burden of Rare Disease Survey that uh, Every Life recently launched. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So this is Annie, and I'll dig into that for you. So um, I think first it's important to know and understand that there are, are approximately about 30 million Americans who are diagnosed with a rare disease. And for those 30 million Americans, most get to that diagnosis through a very a prolonged and, and very unnecessary diagnostic odyssey. Uh, it includes appointment delays, inadequate treatment protocols, and all of those delays and um, lacks of standards of care yield increased healthcare costs and um, an irreversible disease progression for the individuals who are diagnosed with those diseases. Um, and that 93, an estimated 93% of the 7,000 rare diseases have no FDA-approved therapy. So with all of that in mind, um, it's really important to understand that the cost of living with a rare disease is immense, like full stop. And only a portion of that cost is really reflected in the health utility data. So the data that comes through in your medical data. So when you go to the doctor, when you go to the hospital, what comes through in your prescriptions. Um, and so those costs are both social and economic, but many of the costs involved in living with a rare disease are absorbed directly by families. So they're paid for out of pocket by the families who are living with rare diseases. And they're never, they're never a part of the broader conversation. So when policymakers are making decisions about what kinds of costs to cover in rare disease, what kinds of prescriptions to cover, what kinds of durable medical equipment to cover, what kinds of policies to arrange for, those costs are not a part of the discussion because they're not factored in. And so what we are doing at the Every Life Foundation is we are doing a broad rare disease study, which is call it a burden of rare disease, not because we consider living with a rare disease to be a burden, but because burden is a health economic term that refers to the financial impact of living with a disease or condition. So we're doing a broader study to look at what the overall cost of living with rare disease is. And in that big study that we're doing, the broad study, we are looking at the health data. So the claims data and your commercial data, the Medicare data, the Medicaid data. But for us, it was incredibly important that we couldn't just take a real comprehensive look at rare disease without looking at those out-of-pocket costs, the part that we never calculate. And so that's what the survey is about. It's about really understanding what are the costs absorbed by families 
that are not reflected in the health utility data. So that is what the survey that has been pushed out to the broad rare disease community is, is asking any family or household that has someone in their family living with a rare disease to take the survey to help us understand what those costs are. And I'll just give you a couple examples, if that's okay, of what we're looking for, what we're talking about. So these could be medical foods. So what are unreimbursed costs that you're paying for out of pocket for medical foods related to your rare disease diagnose, diagnosis? For many families um, with conditions that lead to a physical diagnosis or a physical disability, people are paying out of pocket for home modifications, vehicle adaptations, bathroom modifications, things that are never reimbursed, but families pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into out of pocket. Um, many families pay out of pocket for caregivers. So personal assistance and personal caregivers. Some of that may be reimbursed by Medicaid, but much of that is not. So much of that has to be supplemented by families out of pocket. Um, for many in the rare disease community, probably almost most, at some time in your journey of the rare disease, you have to travel out of state to find that expert that actually knows how to care for you. And traveling out of state costs money, whether it's because you're paying for gas or you actually get on a plane to travel out of state and then you stay in a hotel to go visit that provider and you may do so with some frequency. All those extra costs outside of, again, that medical bill are part of those out-of-pocket costs with living with a rare disease. And then if you are a family that has other children at home, so if it's a child who has a rare disease or an adult that you have children that you're leaving at home when you're doing this travel, you're probably paying for someone to help care for your children. And then again, in uh, rare disease, many people leave the workplace at some point. So either the individual themselves doesn't work full time or leaves the workplace or the caregiver in the family may do the same to help provide care and support. So all of these are some of the costs that we're taking a look at because they need to be calculated. They need to be a part of the equation that helps incentivize increased funding into research, but also um, inform the decisions around the policies that are made so that we can ensure that there are policies that better support rare disease families in America. It was a really long answer. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Um, so who will be using the results of the survey? That's a really great question. Uh, a lot, hopefully a lot of policymakers. So the first thing is we, once the survey is available, we will publish it and we will put it into the hands of our rare disease advocates. So advocates have the data and can share it with the groups with whom they work. Um, but some of the groups that we would want to have this data would be value assessors. So you may hear a lot about once a therapy is approved, there are judgments made around the value of that therapy. And then whether that therapy becomes available and a payer is making decisions about whether to add it to a formulary. And there are frameworks to make decisions around that. Some of those frameworks are missing the data to inform those decisions. We would hope that the data from this survey and the study would become some of that data to help inform that decision making. We'll be sharing this study with Congress. So if Congress is making decisions about policies, about durable medical equipment, about, um, about therapies that are approved and funding rare disease therapies, we want them to really understand that there is already a public health crisis of rare disease 
in the US. And much of those costs are being absorbed by Americans who are paying for it out of pocket. And we need them to understand that. And that needs to be a part of the conversation. Um, and the other thing that's really important for Congress to understand and why we'll be sharing this with Congress and the FDA and the NIH is that rare disease therapy development is significantly underfunded. There is not, it's what we refer to as budget dust. There's not enough funding going to NIH and to FDA to incentivize therapy development for rare disease. And we think that much of the reason is that it is underappreciated how um, much rare disease patient communities are impacted by their rare diseases. And we want this data to help add to that conversation. Um, I have, it's, it's a little bit of a double question. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, what kind of questions can survey takers expect? And also sort of where did the questions come from? Like what was the decision making process when creating the survey? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. So first of all, I neglected to say at the beginning and in the end, and I should say it all over and over again, you can find the survey at burdenstudy.org. And there's a lot of good information, FAQs, lots, lots of answers to these kinds of questions, but I love the question. So we worked in partnership. So first of all, it's, it's not that I sat down and created the survey. We worked with people much smarter than me and we worked with health economists, but we also more importantly worked with the rare disease community. So we, um, starting back in December, reached out to patient organizations and members of our rare disease community and asked the community members, what should we be asking? what kinds of financial impacts are you absorbing in your community? Because we wanted to make sure that this would be representative of the broad rare disease community. And as you know, each rare disease community is impacted differently by their rare disease. So we spent a lot of time collecting input from rare disease community members to understand what kinds of costs we should be looking at and how to ask those questions appropriately. And then we went through many different phases of beta testing of the survey to make sure we were asking those questions appropriately and we would get to the answers that would be informative and powerful. The other thing is we worked with partners. We have an advisory committee, which includes partners in the Office of Rare Disease Research at NIH, partners in the National Academy of Sciences. We worked with partners at the Undiagnosed Diseases Network. So we tried to work with partners who would be helping to use this data and that maybe would have complementary efforts that would really help us powerfully make sure that this was not just informative, but that could be pushed out whenever we got the information that this could be a force multiplier for a broader rare disease community. So that's such a good question. I hope I answered it entirely. Um, but some of the kinds of questions people can be ex asked, expecting to answer would be, so we're asking about 2019. We want a one year snapshot of expenses so we do ask people to, if they have um, financial information available from 2019, this is de-identified, we're not asking you to, we have no way of knowing who you are after you take it, but we do want you to sort of pull your records so that you can actually give us real numbers and let us know what did you pay out of pocket in 2009 for these kinds of expenses and we break it down, out of pocket caregiver expenses, lost time from work, were you less productive at work or did you, how many days from work did you miss or did you actually leave the workplace for a certain amount of time? Travel costs related to healthcare. We ask about educational modifications. So many people in the rare disease community have 504 plans and IEPs and we talk about that and we ask about the kinds of modifications people have. Um, we ask specific questions about um, functional abilities so that we can try and correlate um, 
functional abilities to costs for DME, et cetera. So we do get very specific and hopefully that those are things that are meaningful to patients within the rare disease community um, because they can be correlated to costs. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Okay, so if you were a patient who is going to be taking the survey, um, we were wondering what's the importance of contributing your information and experience? Well, I mean, I think the, the bottom line is that you're impacted by the result, by the fact that this study doesn't exist already. And so I've worked in this space for 25 years. And when I started in the space, I was working in the clinics with families. And we would frequently run into, we, there were really brick walls that we would hit with families. There would just be no access to something. And we would spend a lot of time trying to overcome that barrier with a family. And I'm now um, very grateful to be in a space where I get to work through broad policy issues. And what we're learning is that when we're working to shape policy or change legislation, legislative issues, you need data to inform that. And so what I would say to families is, we can, we can only change the existing landscape when families bring their data to us, right? You need your voice, your experience to be a part of the equation so that we can actually, we know, like anyone in the community who's a part of the rare disease community knows that it's expensive to live with a rare disease. If you, if you are a family with a rare disease, this probably seems so obvious. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably thinking, well, duh, of course, like how does someone not know this? Um, but we need the data. And to date, there are only back of the envelope estimates around this. And in, there's a, a saying um, in the government that says, in God we trust, all others bring data. And what that means is policymakers speak the language of data. And so what we are doing here with the burden study is we are asking for the rare disease community to take their lived experience and help us translate it into data. So bring what happened in 2019, take 45 minutes, which we know is not easy. We know that finding 45 minutes in your day is not easy, but take 45 minutes and help us translate your lived experience into data so that we can help change the landscape. And we, we will do that. Together as a community, we can do that. But we need each member of the rare disease community to take time to take the survey and share your experience so that we have the data we need to help change the landscape. That is such a cool step um, for people who want to get involved with policy, but maybe don't have the, the tools or opportunities to do it in another format. It's, um, it's a cool way to get involved with policymaking that you can do from home, too. That's right. That's absolutely right. And the other thing to let people know is that you don't have to take the survey in one sitting. You can start it and stop it and come back. It'll pick up where you left off as long as you don't delete all your cookies, which frankly, I don't even know how to do. Um, and it'll start back where you were so you can finish it later. We do just need you to finish it so that we have the data um, at burdenstudy.org um, because that it is the voice of the patient community. Listen, the voice of the patient community has changed the way we develop therapies in rare disease. It has changed the way FDA considers product reviews. It has changed the way patient experience is considered within therapy development already. We, it, it is, can be done, it is being done. We just need now the data to inform the frameworks that we have now created as a community. And when can patients take this survey until? 
So that's a great question. The survey is right now open until July 19th. Um, there is potential we may extend the timeline, but we are asking as many people as possible to go um, through July 19th and take the survey. The last thing I would say is I just, I think the takeaway, what really matters is that for members of, for families in the rare disease community, I think, um, and you know, my family is one, there, there are just moments when you wonder if anyone is listening, if anyone's paying attention, if anyone gets it. And the bottom line is, we, we do. There are, like, there is a community here to support you and your experience matters and it counts. And this survey is another way to ensure that your experience counts and that we are collecting that data and we are measuring that data and that we can change what is not working about the system because the system was not designed for members of the rare disease community. We did not exist when Medicare and Medicaid were formed. We were not families with children with rare diseases. We're not living into adulthood. We need to change the system, but we need the data to do it. And so we are working together as a rare disease community to do that. And we urge everybody in the rare disease community to go to burdenstudy.org, take the survey and help us build a better system that reflects the needs of today's rare disease community. Thank you. Thank you guys. Um, I really appreciate call. being on. I'm, I, I'm actually leaving you with your better interview. Lindsay is awesome. So. <laughs> Very kind. Very kind. Next, uh, we'll be talking with Lindsay about uh, the scholarship fund that Every Life is launching. If you'd like to tell us a little bit about that. Yay. So I'm so excited. It's actually called the Where Is Scholarship Fund. Mm -hmm. um, very exciting stuff. Um, we, you know, it's, we're, we're all affiliated in rare disease. So we all kind of understand some of the challenges and some of the problems that are faced with your, when you're an individual living with a rare disease. Um, it could mean managing unique challenges, including frequent doctor visits, rigorous treatment regimens and hospitalizations. Um, right, we all we all know this story. Exposed risks—it just kind of goes on and on, um, and starts to really pile up. Um, and while the quality and duration of life continues to improve, thanks to all these improved diagnosis, treatment approaches, individuals living with rare diseases still face some disparities in achieving their traditional life milestones. So we always try to think of what, what what can we do to try to be part of the solution, right? Not add to the problem. So um, that's why the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases established the Rare Is Scholarship Fund, uh, which you can find by going to rarescholarship.org, which I'll continue to say over and over again because I want people to apply to this thing. Um, <laughs> and part of what this is all about is to help enrich the lives of adults living with rare diseases by providing a little extra support to pursue their educational uh, pursuits and goals. Um, I also uh, will, will kind of add, I, I know a lot of the narrative when we think about rare, a rare disease patient is often always centered around their treatment and their hospitalizations and their medication, right? It's always around just the health, but rare disease individuals are much more than just their health, right? Like they are full-bodied people. They have life goals and life pursuits and they want to be doctors 
they want to be nurses or they want to take an art class. Um, so that's also what, how I really embody like the like full purpose about what this uh, scholarship is really about. So um, thanks to the support of Horizon Therapeutics, we are able to offer one-time awards. Um, they're each for 5,000 each. Each of the awards are for 5,000. Um, and we're able to grant up to 32 recipients to the spring 2021 semester. So you're applying in 2021, but it's actually for uh, the spring, the first semester of next year. Um, and all of the award amounts are for the same amount, regardless of if you're taking undergraduate, graduate, um, one, a single class, uh, part-time, full-time, it doesn't matter. It just has to be accredited institution. So that's another part to, to note. Um, uh, for the past 11 years, the Every Life Foundation has been really working to remove roadblocks from uh, the development of life-saving treatments and diagnostic opportunities for rare disease patients. So I'm, I'm excited that this is just like another step for us. The scholarship fund uh, is to uh, really help patients not to just live with their disease, but to actually thrive. Um, and uh, what else do we want to say about it? The, oh, I think I already mentioned this, but just to reiterate, the applicants do not need to be pursuing any sort of degree to be eligible. I know when you hear the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases, you might just think that we're a policy organization, which we are, uh, but that does not mean that this to apply to this scholarship, you have to be pursuing a degree in public policy or um, be a doctor or biology or like anything, science needed, like anything like that. Um, no, you can be someone who's interested in an art class. That's really cool. Like <laughs> it's, it's like all or nothing. Like you either need to be like on a PhD track or you need to take none at all. You know, like that it's sort of working on finding another way that isn't in the systems that have been developed with a specific type of student right. mind. Right. It seems to value the class itself rather than the degree at the end. It's like the right, because that's another can be another challenge for rare disease individuals, right? When you're a person living with rare disease, you might have to take a break from the class. Mm -hmm. You are, might get sick and not be able to complete it right away. So we're just here to to help with some of that. You know, give you a little extra sum. Like that's mm -hmm. really what it's all about. But it's really up to the individual. To complete whatever goals they are that that we're you're you're trying to pursue, right? We're just here to help you, give you a tool to help sharpen your tool shed, right? Like or whatever the thing is. Yeah, and especially, I mean, right now more than ever, like you know, people are at home, jobs have changed, school yeah. has changed, educational landscape has changed, like right, like everything's like kind of. I don't know. It's all up in there right now, but um, I feel like the Rare Scholarship Fund is actually come at a really good time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Way, the scholarship gives an opportunity to try something new as, that, as well without having to invest in a whole degree. You can take a class for free and test it out, see what you think. Right. Why not? Yeah. We're here to offer you some funds. <laughs> Go ahead and apply. Please, like you've had, maybe you you're an individual living with rare disease and you've never even thought that this was possible to just take a class because it costs 
you know, $6,000 or whatever it is. Um, and, um, you know, I think that's, that's a lot of what this scholarship is also about. Like, yeah, <clears throat> let's help achieve those, those lifelong goals that maybe weren't possible before, just because of finance, just because you've spent all your money on staying alive. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I also want to add some important, an important date very important date, which is August 28th, 2020 at 3 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Everybody's very specific <laughs> with the time zones because I know we'll get people in the last hour, right? That's the deadline to apply. So make sure that you go to rarescholarship.org. That's our web page on the Every Life Foundation. It also has all sorts of information on you. Anything, it's real quick. It's anything, any questions that you have, like who can apply? How much is it for? When does the money come? All of that kind of stuff. You'll get a quick snapshot um, at rarescholarship.org. Um, and then at the very end, you know, there's that little button to apply and then that will start the application process, which I want to say takes, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes tops. Like, it's, we try to make it really accessible to the rare disease community. We tried to make it really, really easy on folks. Um, we partnered with a hosting company called Scholarship America. They've been in the business for 60 years. They know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and they are actually, the, I'll also add, they are actually the ones that go have a customized algorithm of sorts for the application. So we're not deciding um, who the awardees are. Um, we just told them these are the kind of leadership uh, individuals in rare disease that we're looking for, right? Like the kind of characteristics. Are you a leader in your rare disease community? Um, we actually weighed the essay at the like highest amount. So while you'll find some questions that have to do with your financial background or your ethnicity or what kind of degree you're pursuing or class you're pursuing, it's not weighed that heavily. Yeah, it's really about the essay people, the essay. That was actually something we were gonna ask about, like a, advice for applicants and like what they should be thinking about while they're applying, which I guess is the essay. Hot tip, <laughs> spend your time on the essay. Essay, essay, essay. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's really, I mean, that, that's the bulk of it. You will need also, um, a, there's a form called the di diagnosis form that you'll have to fill out that's essentially just a doctor's note that uh, will sign off from a physician that says that you've been diagnosed with a rare disease. I will add, that also includes the population of undiagnosed. So if you're an individual who identifies as an undiagnosed rare disease patient and you've had, you know, years and years of this diagnosis, misdiagnosis, back and forth, right? Like we all know what undiagnosis means in the community of rare disease. You are absolutely included in this scholarship and absolutely should apply. At rarescholarship.org. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned, for example, um, one quality that would be weighted is leadership in the, your rare disease community. Are there any other specific characteristics that might aid an applicant that you would be looking for? 17 and up. <laughs> like, seriously, you guys, the eligibility is, we've, again, we've tried to make this really accessible to folks. 
So I think the requirements are 17 and up and that you're a US resident mm -hmm. and that you have a rare disease. Cool. Honestly, that's like it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Because it's like, I think in application processes, mm -hmm. um, like typically with like a lot of things, they often are asking for things that might be kind of like, I'm looking for the word, sort of like at odds with sort of what living with a rare disease can mean in like a situation. Yeah. Sort of like they might be looking for applicants who haven't had to like be going through the hospital system in high school and like had more funds to spare to pursue extracurricular activities. And so it's cool that it's a different type of model than a lot of application systems that I know I've seen so far. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is also our pilot year. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but this is a scholarship fund that we have funding for for the next five years. Oh, wow. So um, I'm very interested in this pilot year. If things in the application are not working for the rare disease community, you can absolutely communicate that with me and then we will work on that for the next year. Oh, awesome. right. Like we, it's all about trying to like break down some of the roadblocks mm -hmm. that are there inevitably for rare disease mm -hmm. individuals. It's like, we're trying to make things easier. Like we want you to pursue your goals and be successful. Um, and I know sometimes with applications like that, it's hard to translate because they're trying to get it's either someone like developing the application that doesn't come from a certain community and might not understand all of the milestones. So we worked very heavily with Scholarship America on that. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, again, just tried to make it super, super easy on folks. I think part of what the Rare Scholarship Fund, what makes this funding so unique is one, it's any rare disease. So I think a lot of times some scholarship funding for rare disease patients are like specific to the rare disease community that they're supporting or part of or whatever. We're, this is open to all, <laughs> anybody. And if you ever have any questions of if you have a rare disease or not, um, you can always go to NIH's Guard or um, NORD to look or just ask me, El Cundiff at everylifefoundation.org. No problem, I'm here for you, I'm your resource. Um, yeah, and what else is unique about, so the, um, that you're any, you can come from any patient group in rare disease, and also that you don't have to be pursuing a specific educational pursuit. It's really up to the individual. It just has to be accredited. Yeah, and it seems like with the scholarship, it also gives patients the opportunity to just get their foot in the door and try education if they haven't as well, because if it comes without a cost, go ahead, see what it's about, and then see how you can take it further afterwards. Right, you. like we just, you know, you just heard from Annie talking about the cost of rare disease. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is part of it. Like it's setting aside a certain amount of funding just for these educational goals. And I think, I think you're right. It's um, maybe, maybe you're an individual who never even thought this was possible. So if there's a bucket <laughs> of funding and you never thought you could have your hands on it, get, get your hands in that pot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, hopefully it's, it's going to help people. Yeah. Um, oh, and I will also add, 
Um, if you are someone pursuing like continuous education, you can reapply. So it's also, you know, considering the longevity of maybe a one-time installment of $5,000 doesn't, I mean, it's great, but I also need, you know, four years of that. <laughs> um, that's also in consideration. And I mean, who knows, maybe this, this funding will be so successful. It'll continue past the five years. We'll see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's also cool. Like you were saying, getting people in the field. Um, so yeah. like having a lot of people from the rare disease community with poli sci majors, you know, like out there, like, working in their designated field but bringing a different perspective to it is also totally. like a really powerful thing that this enables and i am all about rare disease patients getting paid yes let's get people jobs, <laughs> right like let's set again let's set people up for success mm -hmm. like there's you're if this helps you get to that point great and yeah absolutely people there needs to be way more rare disease patients represented mm -hmm. in all the fields doctors yeah language courses travel I don't know everywhere <laughs> so maybe to restate I guess one more time exactly so, what the scholarship is yeah. how much you get how much you get at the end of the day yeah no problem so the rarest scholarship fund is offering five thousand dollar scholarships to each individual for the spring of 2021 semester so you apply now before August 28th. Please don't wait till the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> apply now. <laughs> it's open now. Um, go to rarescholarship.org. Read a little of the like Q&A and some of the key dates if you want. Apply. The application takes about 20 minutes. Um, and then you will probably hear. So the application closes on the 28th. And then we'll notify folks in, in October, actually, sorry, Scholarship America will notify folks. And then you'll receive funding December for that spring 21 semester. And we've got 32 grants to, to, um, to give out. So that's quite a few. I think that's also kind of unique. I think scholarships usually have like two or three or five or but it's like really competitive. We're trying to make it super easy. <laughs> we, we, we want to give the funding. Like, you get a scholarship and you get a scholarship, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much.